At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Hey there, it's Hillary. And if you're new to the show, I just want to take a moment to say welcome. And I want to give you some tips on what episodes to listen to to get you started. If you heard me tell my story on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, I want you to check out my interview with Terry. She talks in this really intimate way about why she didn't have kids. And there's this little moment in the interview that our staff has nicknamed Terry Gross's Nightmare. I love this moment so much. I love the whole interview. Just listen. It's episode 79. We also have a series called The Accidental Gay Parents. This series is probably the thing that we're most known for at this show. It's about a trans man and his partner who literally become parents overnight. And so much more happens. That starts with episode 61. And if you like surprises, check out episode 70. It's called There's Something About Andy. You can find our full Longest Shortest Time starter kit at LongestShortestTime.com. And that's also where you can learn more about my new book, Weird Parenting Wins. I'm on tour right now for the book. This weekend, I'll be in Washington, D.C. I'll be at Solid State Books on Sunday, February 24th at 3 o'clock. Elise Spiegel from Invisibilia is going to join me. Kids are welcome. It's going to be super fun. We're going to demonstrate strategies from the book, including what's on my butt. Come on out and say hi. Okay, now on to the show. Hey, Andrew here. On the show this week, we have a story for you from the writer Nicole Chung. Longest Shores Times amazing producer Jackie Sajiko really loved Nicole's book. So we asked if she'd take over hosting duties. Lucky for us, she did. You guys are going to love this one. Okay, here's Jackie. When Nicole was 26, she found out she was pregnant. At her first prenatal appointment, a nurse checked her blood pressure, her weight, recorded the date of her last period. And then the nurse asked Nicole about her family history. I was not new to the experience of saying, like, oh, I'm adopted, I don't have this medical history, you know. But this is the first time it actually seemed to matter because they asked, like, well, what do you know about your birth? Do you know anything? And I actually did know that I was born about 10 weeks early. I weighed two pounds when I was born, that I spent the first several months of my life in the NICU. Uh, So I reeled this off and I was like, okay, now we'll move on. And I remember the midwife saying, well, like, do you know why your birth mother went into labor so early? And I realized I actually had no idea. Nicole's husband, on the other hand, knew all about his parents' medical histories. He also knew the town his ancestors lived in in Ireland and the bakery his Lebanese grandparents used to own. 
Nicole knew about her adopted family's history. They were both from big Eastern European families. They'd moved to the West Coast from Ohio. But she had no idea about her birth family. Nicole felt like her families were two lines running parallel to each other, just barely intersecting when she entered the child welfare system and then was later adopted at two and a half months old. She always wondered about the line she left, but for most of her life, she didn't really feel compelled to find out more. That changed when she got pregnant. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Jackie Sujiko. Today on the show, Nicole Chung. She's an essayist and editor-in-chief for Catapult magazine. After that prenatal doctor's appointment, she decided she was going to find her birth parents. But she ended up finding a whole lot more. She wrote a book about this journey called All You Can Ever Know. Nicole grew up in a small, mostly white town in southern Oregon. She had one mom, one dad, and no siblings. Her family was one of the only interracial families in town. At the grocery store, people would constantly stop her parents, point at Nicole, and ask, where'd you get her? Nicole's dad used to make this one joke over and over again. It was, if you put a Pole and a Hungarian together, you get a Korean. It was his way of shutting down, I think, nosy questions. Or they'd ask, oh, what is she? And her mom would say, well, looks like a human baby to me. You know, like, <laughs> like that's really the kind of thing they would do. So I was actually never that funny or good at shutting it down, you know. But then again, I was the subject. But I did learn, like, keep those exchanges brief. Like, don't give a ton of information. Just, like, tell the standard story, give the standard line, and move on. What people want to hear is that you're happy, well-adjusted, and love your family. And so, I mean, of course, I did love my family, but, like, they don't want to actually hear about your curiosity. They don't want to hear about any issues you have. They don't really want to hear, like, what it's actually like to be Korean in a white family in a white town. In school, Nicole was usually the only Asian kid in her class. I heard a lot of racial slurs on the playground. It wasn't something that the teachers noticed or anyone did anything about. And I also didn't tell anybody at the time. So it was really something that happened that I found pretty confusing and painful that I went through largely alone. Oh, so you never told your parents about any of that? I didn't know how to tell them at the time. I'd always grown up hearing, you know, the way you look doesn't matter, like your race doesn't matter, what matters is the kind of person you are. I didn't really know to call it racism because... I mean, partly because we never talked about racism, partly because when it was talked about, like, let's say in school, it was always presented as part of like a history lesson of something much more brutal than what was happening to me, much more violent and systemic. And, you know, because I wasn't being beat up, you know, because my life wasn't endangered in any way or my physical safety, I didn't really think of it as racism. I didn't know how to tell my parents. And I was really afraid of disappointing them in a way. Like I thought... I had to protect them from this knowledge. I had to protect them from the reality that my race really did matter. As Nicole got older, she found herself fielding new questions from total strangers. At parties, if she mentioned she was adopted, people would always ask, don't you want to meet your birth family? And if I said I wasn't interested or I wasn't ready or, you know, which, which was true at the time, sometimes people would flip and say, oh, like, you know, it must be because you really love your family or it must be because you're so well-adjusted or, you know, that sounds really healthy. <laughs> and uh, so then, like, the implication pretty clearly sometimes was that if I wanted to search, that meant I wasn't well-adjusted. It meant I didn't love my family. It meant I wasn't happy. And that was a hard thing to break free of. Pregnancy changed everything for Nicole. First of all, 
she was going to give birth. The fact that I couldn't ask like my own mother, combined with the general fear that I think is pretty typical in a lot of people who might be going through it for the first time, I just didn't really know what to expect. The whole idea of pregnancy and childbirth just seems so mysterious to me. Like, how do you do it? Um, And I know that sounds extremely basic, but I really kind of psyched myself out where pregnancy was concerned. It felt like something that I had never participated in from like the other side. I, I don't know. I felt very unprepared. And secondly, she was going to have her own kid, someone who would look like her, someone related to her. Being a good adoptee didn't seem that important anymore. I reached a point where I was just like, I I don't think I can go on anymore, not even trying to get more information. And if some people judge me for that, or if they take that as an indictment of my adoptive family, or they think that I'm not grateful, or I don't love my adoptive parents, that is like their problem. That is not my burden. It's not a fair burden for me to carry anymore. Why start looking for your birth family while you were pregnant? Like there's so much going on. That's what my mom said. She was like, now? Really? Now? Um, And she wasn't the only person to say that. And I I get that. Um, But once I felt very sure, I didn't see the point of waiting anymore. Like, I already felt like I'd been waiting my whole life. So it just seemed like the time, almost like before I lost my nerve, too. I remember thinking that if I wait too long, there will be all these reasons to not do it. Or, you know, it'll just take that much longer. And, you know, to be honest, I... I didn't know how old my birth parents were. I didn't know if perhaps I'd be running out of time to make a meaningful connection or or find out things about them. So that was another reason why once I made up my mind, I was like, you know, I'm not going to just sit on this. To look for her birth family, Nicole had to hire a confidential adoption intermediary. At the time, it was required by Washington state law because she'd had a closed adoption. Those laws have since changed. The intermediary is like a buffer between an adoptee and their birth family in case somewhere along the way, one side decides they no longer want to continue contact. First, Nicole had to write two letters, one for each of her birth parents. How long did it take you to write the letter? Like, weeks. (laughs) I don't remember how many drafts I went through. It was so high stakes. I wanted it to be so perfect, you know, this perfect expression of who I was and like what I felt and what I wanted and not pressuring. And yeah, it took a very long time. Here's how Nicole's letter started. Hello, my name is Nicole. I'm your biological daughter. You're probably wondering why I'm contacting you now. I know this letter is bound to come as a shock to you. I hope it's not an unhappy one. I want you to know that I'm well and happy and have lived a good life. I was raised by parents who loved me very much. She added, I know the adoption decision could not have been an easy one for you. A couple weeks later, she sent off the letters. And then it was time to wait. It was really out of my hands. I tried to kind of just focus on other things, which was, you know, kind of easy in a sense because I was like very pregnant. (laughs) So there was like a lot of other stuff to think about. Oh, yeah. In some ways, like, it's nice because you have, like, one big project and then you can switch to your other big project in your life. Honestly, that's exactly how it felt at the time. (laughs) Like, I remember thinking, like, thank God this, like, search isn't the only thing in my life right now. Because if it were, like, I would obsess over it even more than I already was. Being pregnant, like, it was actually very good to have something else to really focus on, something huge and important that I had at least a little bit more control over or I pretended I did. Nicole's third trimester rolled around. She and her husband started decorating the nursery, accumulating onesies and diapers, setting up a crib. And then, after 26 years of not knowing who anyone in her birth family was, Nicole suddenly knew all at once. 
the first person she heard from was not her birth mom or dad. They'll come in later. Instead, it was her sisters, a half-sister Jessica and a whole sister Cindy. Nicole learned that both her parents were still alive and that Nicole would have been the baby of the family. She and Cindy felt bonded right away. What was it like hearing from your sister for the first time? It made me really happy. It was, even though she was, um, I think she was also feeling a little bit cautious at the beginning, which makes total sense. But it was, it was clear to me that she was offering the chance for some connection, like some friendship if I wanted it. And, and that meant the world to me. And then she also kind of hinted at like some harder, like darker things that had happened in my birth family, but didn't really offer specifics right away. And it seemed like she was really giving me a choice to say like, yes, I want to know more if you want to tell me, or like, no, I would really rather not. Nicole wrote back that she did want to know. Cindy told her, She had no idea that I'd been adopted. My birth parents told her that I died at birth, and so she grew up her whole life thinking that 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 was what happened and that she didn't have, like, you know, a living full sister. So you can imagine her shock and, and honestly anger, you know, at the time when she found out about this. I felt pretty terrible for being the reason that that she was upset by that. You know, I just felt like I had never intended to like throw my birth family into like upheaval. And a lot of my caution at the beginning came from just feeling like guilty, like, and also not wanting to like push myself on her or any of them if it wasn't what they wanted. I didn't want them to feel like they owed me anything, like they didn't owe me anything. Cindy also sent a photo. It was the first time Nicole had ever seen anyone in her birth family, anyone related to her at all. And I'm like immediately like looking for all the similarities and all the differences and like showed it to my husband. I was like, can you believe this? You know, it was really exciting. I had never seen anyone who looked like me. And my sister and I certainly are not identical. Like there are a lot of differences, but like she looked so much more like me than like anybody else I'd ever seen. And then a week later, Nicole got to see a second person who looked like her, her daughter. Nicole went into labor in the middle of the night but it took the whole day before her contractions were close enough to go to the birth center. She tried to keep busy. She took a shower, ate some peanut butter toast, paced up and down the stairs. When it was finally time to go, Nicole's husband packed the car with her overnight bag, a car seat, snacks. As another wave of contractions hit her, Nicole was desperate for any distraction. So she checked her email. A new message appeared at the top. It was from her birth father. If it were fiction, you would be like, that is not believable. That just didn't happen that way. But it happened in real life. (laughs) His email said he'd received her letter. And he asked her for forgiveness for the adoption. Nicole wasn't able to write him back that day. In a few hours, she was going to give birth to her oldest daughter. But in the next few months, Nicole would start getting to know her new family, her own new baby daughter, and the people that gave Nicole up when she was a baby. Don't go away. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. (laughs) At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. 
Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Welcome back. Nicole always grew up hearing the same story from her adopted parents. They thought they wouldn't be able to give you the life you deserved. They thought adoption was the best thing for you. It was a guess, but after she found her birth family, Nicole found out that parts of that story were right. I had always been presented this narrative about my birth family as like a hardworking immigrant narrative. They came here, they worked so hard, they didn't have much money, they had no health insurance. You were born too early, you were sick, and like their only choice was to give you up so you'd have a better life. It was this very like loving, like noble, sacrificial narrative as it was presented to me. And there's some truth in it, you know, having like talked with my birth parents about it, both of them. But like, I think the primary reason for my adoption, as it turned out, was just that they were in a really dark place themselves. They were going through some really hard things. Like I was kind of a problem that needed a solution at that point. Nicole's birth parents had been heading towards divorce for years, and they split up shortly after her adoption. The divorce was messy. Cindy went to live with her dad, and she was estranged from her mom. Nicole learned from Cindy that their mom had been abusive while Cindy was a kid. We're not going to talk about it on the show today because it wasn't something Nicole experienced herself. But because of it, Nicole's only connected with one half of her birth family. She decided not to pursue getting in touch with her biological mother. Nicole didn't just feel a connection with her sister Cindy, but also her biological dad. She found out he was a writer— an essayist like her. It's a little on the nose, actually. They found it easiest to email, but he wasn't always easy to talk to. Whenever she asked him questions about his life, he'd say, it's my personal life, or please don't ask me questions about the past. Nicole worried she defended her birth father, but Cindy, who's still close with her dad, told her that he didn't really talk much about his past with her either. Cindy, on the other hand, was so easy to talk to. While Nicole nursed her daughter in the middle of the night on the East Coast, she'd write to Cindy. And by noon, Cindy would have replied from the West Coast. I'd really always wanted a sibling, like especially a sister. I think growing up as the only Korean in my family and the only one I really knew, I had this deep longing both for people who looked like me and like for people who would understand better, maybe some of the things that I went through. It was still like the first year of our relationship. I think we were kind of just feeling our way forward. I really felt like a great deal of like love and respect and admiration for her from the beginning and like really wanted to know her better and was just like mostly afraid of coming on too strong like you are in the beginning of a relationship sometimes. I was like, I got to not freak her out, like time to be real normal. And like, <laughs> but I didn't know for sure what she wanted. You know, I wasn't sure if, it, if she was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, oh, it's like I have a new pen pal. Nicole's husband pointed out that over the past year, she and Cindy had written to each other Every single day. No one does that if they don't want to know you. Nicole's next email to her sister read, We should plan that visit. Do you want to fly out and stay with us? Cindy wrote back immediately, When can we come? The day Cindy was due to arrive, 
Nicole was so excited, she camped out on the front porch for hours. But she also worried about whether her new sister actually wanted to be sisters. I get very um, rushed and clumsy when I'm, like, excited and anxious. So, like, what I will always vividly remember is, like, the night she arrived, I was so excited. Like, I walked into, like, a door frame and had this huge bruise on my nose, like, the entire time that we visited. Um, like, people were like, like, what happened to you? And I was like, oh, like, I met my sister, and <laughs> which doesn't sound right. Like, that does not sound right. Nicole had seen pictures of Cindy before, but in person... She saw the similarities in their eye color, their hair, the sound of their laughs. And she wasn't alone. Her husband and brother-in-law both couldn't stop commenting on little things like, oh, they tuck their hair behind their ear the same way. Even Nicole's daughter got in on the fun. She was one. And she was kind of at the height of, like, her stranger anxiety. Like, she would cry sometimes when her grandparents held her, if it had been a while, She hadn't been in daycare at that point. And so, like, I was her main caregiver and, you know, my husband, of course. And so she just wasn't great with strangers. But, like, as soon as she met my sister, she just, like, walked right up to her and, like, wanted to sit in her lap. And, like, she would, like, give her books to read to her, like, right away. It was, like, automatic. And I think it was – I remember my brother-in-law saying, like, it's because you look just like her mom, like, (laughs) um, which seems very obvious. I mean, of course my daughter knew it wasn't me. Like, she knew it wasn't me. But, like, there was this, like, automatic affinity that they had. Nicole and Cindy spent most of the week just talking, catching up on their lives over the past 27 years. They went out to a local museum and to a Korean restaurant on double dates with their husbands, plus toddler. The more time they spent together, the more Nicole realized how little she knew about Cindy. She couldn't tell if she was annoying her. Was she having a good time? And... Most importantly, did Cindy want to be her sister? Like, her real sister? On the last night of her visit, Nicole finally worked up the nerve to ask her. We went for a walk, and I was like, I mean, it really, it it was so much pressure. It felt like just gearing up to ask this very, very important question. Gosh, which makes it sound like a proposal. I guess it kind of was. I was like... I was like, I just have to say it so, like, she knows where I stand and, like, what I want. And, you know, I tried to tell her, it's okay if you're not sure yet, but, like, this is really what I want. Nicole asked, do you think we can be real sisters? Cindy replied, you're already there. It was kind of like a profound, like, lovely moment. And that visit really cemented the fact that we both really wanted to like to be close and to feel like real sisters and to have this relationship, even though we were kind of starting it from scratch. When Nicole first reached out to her birth family, she hoped it would be a relief for her and for them. And with Cindy, it was. They bonded over the fact that they both grew up with a lot of secrets. As sisters, they tried not to hide the difficult stuff in their lives from each other. But talking to her birth father, Nicole felt like her re-entrance into his life just dredged up painful memories. On the other hand, he did keep writing to her. Nicole and her dad had been emailing each other regularly for two years, ever since she got that first message from him the day she went into labor. They hadn't met in person yet. Nicole didn't want to force him into meeting her if he didn't want to. But when Nicole went to visit Cindy for the first time, her sister asked if their dad could also visit. He wanted to come meet Nicole. I was so nervous. I remember just thinking like, I don't know. I was like, what if he doesn't like me? Like, what if he doesn't think I'm like Korean enough? Like, I'm definitely not Korean enough. And my sister was like, I mean, you can tell him then he knows why you're not. (laughs) 
When he arrived, Nicole immediately thought, he looks so much like Cindy. Sometimes in conversation, Nicole's birth father would reply to questions in Korean, and Cindy would translate for Nicole's benefit. When they'd emailed in the past, her birth dad seemed hesitant to tell her much about himself. But now, in person, he was ready to give her more. He wrote down this, like, very long, like, annotated list. Basically, a lot of family history, like, our oldest known ancestor and, like, about his parents and his siblings and, like, different jobs he'd had and, like, all these different things that I I would have, of course, wanted to know. And he knew I wanted to know it. And so he collected it all in one place, like, this mini history. And he emailed it to Cindy and me before our visit so we could, like, look it over and see if we had questions about it. And, um, like, he was teaching a seminar. And it was so funny because my sister emailed and was like, uh, I did not know, like, half this stuff. (laughs) Your birth father sounds very professorial. (laughs) Yeah, actually. In one of his sort of former lives, he was more of an academic. Two of the gifts her birth father brought her that day included a book of his own essays and a copy of Walden. He also brought her another gift. Ever since Nicole found out that her birth parents had told everyone she'd died at birth, she'd wondered if she'd meant anything to them. That day at Cindy's house, her birth dad told her when she'd been born, he'd picked out a Korean name for her, Sujong. And he told her that while she was in the NICU as a baby, he'd gone to visit her. You know, I was really small. He mentioned, like, you fit, like, in the palm of my hand. And I remember crying because I didn't know if you'd be okay. From the beginning of her correspondence with him, Nicole's birth father asked her to forgive him for the adoption again and again. Not long after that first visit together, she got another email from him. After we met, he wrote to me and said, like, it was really beautiful to meet you. And I felt some measure of, like, relief, both to see that I had turned out semi okay and then to see that like to really meet me and have it be obvious that I didn't like harbor this bitterness toward him and to be told that in person I think did make a difference but that doesn't mean like those feelings will ever completely go away for him and honestly when we talk my birth father still apologizes to me for the adoption I think he will feel that need until the day he dies and I wish he didn't I don't want him to feel ashamed. And I don't want him to think I blame him. I don't blame him. I don't blame my birth mother for it either. I can't control how they feel about it. You know, you cannot, like, dictate how someone else heals or doesn't from something like that. Opening up her closed adoption complicated the basic story she'd always been told about her adoption. It wasn't as simple as not being wanted. Her reunion changed the story for her adoptive parents, too. When Nicole first started looking for her birth family, her parents weren't thrilled, but they'd always told her it was her choice. Once she'd found her birth family, Nicole kept her parents updated on her visits with Cindy and meeting her birth father. She told them everything she'd learned about the divorce, the circumstances around her adoption, filling in all the details they didn't have in their version of her adoption story. Nicole remembers once talking with her adoptive mom, and out of nowhere, her mom asked her a question. Do you think it would have been better if your birth parents had kept you and raised you with Cindy? And it was not like at all a sarcastic question or like a, like my mom was really curious and she was really wondering like, would it have been better for me and for Cindy, you know, for my birth family? Nicole didn't have an answer for her mom, but she appreciated the question. I don't know how to tell you like what a revolutionary moment that was in our relationship, but it was like probably the first time in my life anyone from my adoptive family had ever acknowledged like that other side of the equation. We were always so focused on what we gained that we never really talked about like what other people lost 
it meant a lot to me that she could go there. Like that was how much like her thinking about it had changed. And I think that only happened because of my search and my reunion and how it sort of forced us to talk about these things that I really grew up not talking with anyone about. Nicole always thought of her two families as parallel lines, but they don't run parallel anymore. They crossed when Nicole found her birth sister and her birth father, and they keep crossing. When Nicole's adoptive father passed away last year, Cindy came to the funeral. It was my, like, biological sister who was really there, like, not just for me, but for my mom as well. And it was just incredible because we really would have been pretty alone if that hadn't been the case, you know? Like, my dad's family was far away and had their own health problems, and, like, they really couldn't be there. And a lot of my mom's family couldn't be there. If my sister and her husband hadn't been there, we would have been, like, alone in a lot of ways. That's a big change. (laughs) Like, that's a huge change when you grow up in a closed adoption, not knowing who your birth family is. I mean, that's nothing like I would have imagined as a kid. The two lines of her two families are no longer on separate trajectories. They've become more like two interwoven threads. Nicole and Cindy both have families of their own now. In a bit, how they talk to their kids about their families. It's the total opposite of how they grew up. Stay with us. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Welcome back. A few years ago, Nicole's oldest daughter had a question for her mom. She wanted to know if she was really Korean. Nicole found out a few Chinese-American kids at school had made fun of her for not being able to speak Korean. She didn't seem upset, but she was, like, more, like, curious, you know? It was, it was a lot, that conversation. <laughs> because Nicole used to ask herself that same question all the time. Nicole doesn't speak Korean either, and growing up, she'd never had anyone to talk to about being Korean-American. Of course, like, I leapt ahead to her thinking about this, like, in 10 years and, like, 20 years, and how would she feel at that point? Nicole started taking Korean language lessons. Every night, she filled out a workbook practicing writing Korean characters for the first time. Her daughter loved to follow along on her own sheet of paper, writing the word for tree and butterfly alongside her mom. A few years ago, Nicole also started going by her Korean family name, Chung. Did, um, did connecting with your birth family change how you thought of your Korean identity? (laughs) Sometimes I think it's made me just feel like more insecure about it because I never feel less Korean than when I'm with my Korean family. (laughs) There's just like, you know, and, and my sister, I mean, who loves me to death has said things like, you know, everything about you just really screams American. And like, she's actually very Americanized too. She does not mean that as a burn. It's just like the truth. I'm very conscious when I'm with them of like how like not Korean I am. I mean, I grew up, I'm Asian American and I grew up in a really white area and I moved to the Bay Area, which has lots of Asian American people who are way more Asian than I am. And I feel very insecure (laughs) around that. 
It's weird because, like, I mean, I, of course, like, part of me is like, I would never tell another person they weren't Asian enough. I think that's like a terrible thing to say or think or believe. But, like, when I'm judging myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot harder. And, like, you know, I do. I, I feel like when it comes to this, I will be a perpetual outsider because of my adoption. Like, there's just no getting around it. When Nicole started looking for her birth family, she'd expected to find just her birth parents. She never thought she'd find a sister, too someone she could confide in and who she could cook pajon and bibimbap with. My sister and I will like go to the Korean grocery together and then we'll like come home and cook a bunch of food. And like, I mean, it's just like a kind of a maybe silly example, but I really treasure those times. You know, that is not something I grew up doing. And someone who shared her complicated family history. Cindy and I have already had like very frank conversations with our kids about like our own history and our families and like the fact that we didn't grow up together and why. Like both my sister and I grew up in families where certain topics were always kind of off limits. We both got the message there were questions we couldn't ask and feelings we couldn't voice without betraying something or someone. And so I think one of the most important things to me as a parent is just try to have a general open door policy. And I, I try not to wait for my kids actually to bring up hard feelings or hard topics because I don't want that burden on them. Like, so like I bring up a lot of things. <laughs> I just want them to know like no matter what it is, like we can talk about it and there aren't big secrets. And I care more about honesty with them than I do about like, you know, saving face. Do you see yourself in your daughters? And is that weird? <laughs> They're certainly like more like me than a lot of other people in the world. I really identify strongly with like different aspects of both of them. And it is weird. Even when they were babies before their personalities really started to surface, like I would just think it was so weird that they looked anything like me at all. I'm like, wow, you have my eyes, you have my nose, like you have my cheeks. That was all very new and different and like wonderful. Nicole's book about finding her birth family is called All You Can Ever Know. It's out now. Nicole's actually reading it with her eldest daughter, who loves it, especially every time she has a cameo. The first time we saw it on bookstore shelves, she wanted to go carry copies around the store and tell unsuspecting customers they should buy it. And, you know, what she planned to tell them was it was the best book ever. She sounds like a great publicist. (laughs) I I did not let her do this. I was like, we'd get thrown out of the store. Thank you for the thought. (laughs) We want to hear from you. What did becoming pregnant make you need to figure out about your past? Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 190. This episode was produced by me, Jackie Sujiko, with Andrea Salenzi. We were edited this week by Abigail Keel from one of our favorite podcasts, Unladylike, and by Amy Drozdowska. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Hilary's new book, Weird Parenting Wins, is out now. More info and tour dates are on our website, longestshortesttime.com. Our engineer is Brendan Burns, and our technical director is John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Akatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rika Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, when memoirist Danny Shapiro got her DNA test results back, something was off. She asked her husband to call the website, get someone on the phone, and even though it was late at night, they answered. So what they're there for and what their training is about is explaining what is known in that industry as what's called an NPE, which stands for Not Parent Expected. Hear what Danny discovered on the next Longest Shortest Time. Make sure you're subscribed on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at the Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. This week, we'd love to hear if you or your family has some kind of coming-of-age ritual for young women, like a period party? 
We'd love to be surprised and delighted by your new and old family traditions. Tell us. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the Participate tab, and submit your story. Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.